what are we going to do, create another Bendy genius? We have Reed Richards. Why, like, let's just make, we'll, we'll use Reed Richards. Well, the, the characters are where the money is, right? I'm Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game designer. I'm Nathan Pletta. I'm an independent game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. This is the Design Games Podcast. Nathan, what are we talking about this week? This week we're talking about characters and how to think about them from the design perspective. Just a heads up for our patient listeners. This episode has a little bit of audio quality mismatch as we continue our learning journey of how to do a podcast. Uh, Thanks for bearing with us and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Which is often why, and it's what Project Dark came out of, is I tell people that the most role-playing experience I've ever had at the computer was playing the original Thief, The Dark Project, because not only did I have a specific character I was playing, and that the game opens with that character's youth and learning about the character, mm. Garrett, but is that because the gameplay is kind of one of the first stealth games, and I think the first first-person stealth game, is you really have to kind of think and act and take on the game the way Garrett would take on the game to play the game, to succeed at the game. You have to get into character. Yeah, yeah, into his method, even if not necessarily his specific wants and goals. And much the same way that that's implied still, actually, essentially you go back into shooters and you realize that the Space Marine of Doom is just a forward, he just hauls his ass right through hell, doesn't really care, that's just (laughs) apparently who he is. But that more and more I think we're learning that we can convey, project, and extract character from the individual moments and and the beats and the way a game is played um, whether it's character classes in Destiny, or it's the specific character in a Tomb Raider game, or it's the the whole nature of the genre in a Thief game, or whatever it is, I love that the the Splinter Cell games have done this to Sam Fisher a lot. That there are things that are are not parts of those games because that's not what Sam would do. How often do you feel like the character, in terms of like in this game, you play this kind of character is one of the core parts of your vision for a game. More and more, it is vital to my notion of what the game is. It, to, the, to the point that uh, Always Never Now was, was an example of me wanting to a game that was about specific characters, mm-hmm. even though I wouldn't necessarily know which of them were going to be present in the game. I mean, I think that's pretty common. When you envision the game, you're envisioning the fictional people in it and what they do. There's a philosophy in licensing and in... Uh, a lot of fictional selling, selling of fictional products and idea, uh, 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 intellectual property and worlds and stuff, which is that a world isn't worth anything for a license. Characters are worth something. Hmm. And there are exceptions, but the, the, the notion is that Middle-earth wasn't really licensable, but Frodo and Aragorn or Leia and Han in Star Wars or whatever, right? These, it's the characters are why you want to work in a property. Because otherwise you could just make a Star Wars-like universe. That's where the money is. It's both. It's right. where the money, both yeah, literal and figurative, is. Yeah. yeah, characters so often help answer the question, "What do you do?" I think it's one of the great assumptions, right, that tabletop role-playing games are going to have characters. There's not a whole lot. I, can, I mean, I can think of a couple examples, but even even ones that focus on other parts of the game and less on individual character play still have embodied individual roles to be played. Roles, if you will, to be played. And I'm asking these questions kind of out of a general, like, I, I don't really have answers 
myself, I think they're just kind of interesting questions to start with. Uh, is that just core? Is that just core to the form where it's a role-playing game? There must be roles to play and things that don't have that strict strict definition are kind of like boundary pieces. I guess if you wanted to, you could argue about like what's a role-playing game, what's a different kind of game. I'm not really interested in that argument, but more like on the continuum, those are on the ends, but the, the vast middle right. has people play characters. I mean, uh, on one level, I'd point out just the, the sheer number of games for which that is true, not just, not just role-playing games, right? Mm. So that shooters sure. are iner- inherently put you in a specific character. Um, there are signature characters and stuff in real-time strategy games very often. Heroes and heroic leaders or uh, uh, stars, third-person games like your Uncharted's and such, right, are very character-driven. Games that are not abstract are generally character, not necessarily character-driven, but you portray one or more characters. I think it'd probably be fair to say that you know the, the the character is almost always the center around which the action of the game revolves, right? And and one of the reasons that is right, I think, is because it puts the player at the center of it, right? Right, and so that that still has a, a an underexamined relationship, which is the one player, one character. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that that in RPGs in the computer game space, one of the defining features of them for so long was that you will play multiple characters, right? You will play the whole party. But that you won't have complete control over the rest of the party. But that party management is part of what makes an RPG an RPG from that perspective. Right. Personally, in my own designs, I like characters who want things different than what I want, mm-hmm. or I want to be able to explore that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want characters whose whose identities are not dependent on whether or not I can get roll above a 12 on a 20 damn sided die, because I often cannot do that. But also, you look at games like uh, Quiet Ear, mm-hmm. where characters are almost emergent, and you don't necessarily play a character per se, or I do it in Odyssey where you might play multiple characters, mm-hmm. like, you know, a whole cast and, and it might hop around and there are, I have more things that are like that. That kind of dynamic where it's no longer just one player to one character or one player to one unit or, I mean, in some ways, right, war games are a game that, that have no characters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? And that's obviously one of the ancestors of the RPG, but is that... Yeah, that was one of the great innovations of Mail into original, you know, Blackmore going from the unit level to the individual hero level. Right. of individual action at the table. And I think, I know that in junior high, I designed an RPG that was terrible, that I was so excited about, I wanted it to be so much better than it was, but it was kind of birthright-like, mm-hmm. in which you could play kings and queens, and you could play knights and lords and ladies and heroes of various stripes, and then you would send out, like, pick dungeons to go out and set these people off to explore or fight or battles to fight, and then you would play, in a way many different characters, and then also the kingdom itself, and then other players would play, like, natural forces against mm. you. And everybody had a kingdom, and everybody had natural forces, and then there were monsters and stuff. But so you were playing all these kind of different facets in a sort of gm light or GM-less way. My God, is, would it, <laughs> was it an ornate, or would have been had it actually been playable, an ornate, mm. filigreed thing. But I think, I think more and more we see those kind of choices being, being acceptable mm. in the market. I haven't been acceptable at the tabletop for eons. Yeah. The, the, the proportion of conversations I have about wouldn't it be cool if we had a game that did what you're describing. Right. Two number of games that actually do that. Right. Is, is the greatest imbalance of any <laughs> conversations to reality. Because I, I totally agree. Like, that sounds awesome, right? It sounds super fun. And I wonder if the reason we don't... I mean, there was Birthright, but that kind of was a, you know, D&D with this other game bolted on to the side. And there's a couple kind of kingdom building games in various states of playtest that I'm aware of, but yeah. Well, it's interesting. Look at actually Kingdom uh, by Ben yeah. Robbins is uh, 
in, in an interesting relationship with that space. And I think in the same way that Microscope makes a lot of uh, interfaces with other games, I think Kingdom can interfa interface with other games in yeah. really fascinating ways. And also those, I haven't played Kingdom yet, but I have played Microscope. You don't, necessar you don't necessarily have to have discrete characters, or if you do, they don't need to be very focused on. And in fact, right. they have no actual rules that differentiate a character from right. anything else. So I guess that's one of the ends of the continuum. How do you know what a character is about as a designer? Like when you make a class, you're actually making a whole category of people, right? You're making a profession or an, or an order of wizards or a religion. When you're making a character concept for just a hook for a number of characters, or when, you, when I've got a number of things that are kind of in progress and that are in the style of Always Never Now in which there will be specific characters to play and there won't be character creation rules. And we worked on Marvel, we had similar designs and we got a lot of static for the fact that you couldn't create characters, so it's so that's but what a hindrance that was. When one, there were licensing reasons, which is we would be given. I say we. This is more so uh, the word that I've been told from people who have had multiple Marvel licenses for video games. I've heard this multiple places. But is that somebody will say, I think timid, afraid that Marvel won't let them use character a character X Y Z in character in, in this way. They'll say, well, there's a bank robbery, and and there's a guy who can turn into multiple people and run around. And they'll be like, well, why don't you just use multiple man? I'm like, well, because we weren't sure you'd like. So we have we have all these characters, <laughs> right? Cool. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, let's try it out. Yeah, and then Marvel, in many ways, is understandably great to work with in that way. But is that there was that notion? Do we need a character creation system? And I think part of it was that that license specifically was like, no, people. I mean, champions exist. Mm. People can go and make right. their own superheroes. Marvel is about playing Marvel characters, and yeah. that's and so how do you do? How do you arrive at that point when you're not already Marvel? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting design space because. You kind of have to think about what what role, like what the balance is between the character's ability to interact with each other, interact with the fiction, mm -hmm. the scenario, whatever. How much, like how how detailed that is, how much that matters, and how central they are to the mechanical processes. And sometimes that stuff doesn't really get worked out until later in the process. For, for me, this it's questions, that, and I think this is what you're talking about, of portrayal and potential in a way, right? So portrayal is what parts of the game do they show off? What parts of the setting do they show off? What parts of the theme do they show off? What are they actually about? If, if the character is the most encapsulated, active, expressive agent of mm -hmm. what the game is about and what you do in it, how are they doing that? So in a way, a character, a specific character, is a narrow drill down into the game. It's a vertical slice in a way, Well, right? that's the thing about if you want to get an idea of a game, look at the character sheet. No, that's pretty true for most games. That is both the, the primary interface between the player and the games, you know, their sheet, what's on it. And also it's doing exactly what you're saying. It's drilling down and distilling. Sure, here's, here's this game and here's all these rules in it for all these different things. But the stuff that's on your sheet is kind of, or at least should be, either the most important stuff or here's the stuff that you're going to be doing a lot. Right. Or here are the options that you need to know exist. There's, there's, a, there's a very real sense in, in which I think RPGs are, even if you don't have characters yet, even if you make your own characters in the game, they're a little more honest about what they're about. Well, honest maybe too loaded a phrase for, for the second half of this, but is that if you look at a video game and you say, and you see the, the person on the box who will almost inevitably be a, will probably be a square-jawed, scowling white dude, but what you don't see on the box is the control scheme, right? So what do the buttons actually do? No, but there's no jump button. 
How can there not be a jump button? The game's not about that. If you look at a character sheet and you say, okay, well, so there are these skills. This is what I can do. Yeah. But there are skills and they never come into play or there are things obviously missing or whatever, right? Some people might have that problem. I know I have reactions like that sometimes where I'll be, okay, but how do I talk to the other characters? The answer is you just talk to them. I'll be like, but I want my character to be better at it than I am because I always want my characters to be better at that than I am. <laughs> right. So how do I express that? Yeah. And that's one of those things, again, right, is that the character is, is not just a, that vertical slice of the game, but is a statement from the player about what they want to be good at in the game, what, right. what they want the game to be about, the campaign to be about, mm -hmm. and how they want to interface with it. Uh, are you familiar with the concept of flags, yeah. the character flags? So that kind of gets into that territory for me, where a flag is this idea that, and actually kind of encapsulates two contradictory ideas. If you have an option, if you have a character and you have all these options, right, you have skills or points or abilities or feats or whatever. Are you choosing stuff because you're saying, I want to be able to do this. I'm going to take this diplomacy ability because I want to be able to go do diplomatic stuff because in this kingdom building game, diplomacy is the most interesting thing to me. So I want to do diplomacy. I'm going to take the feat. I'm going to take the thing that gives me a bonus, blah, blah, blah. Or are you taking that because you're like, oh, it's a kingdom building game. There's going to be diplomacy. Right. And I want to just handle that with a role and get on to the other stuff. I don't want to not do it, because it's clearly part of the game, but I'm not really that interested. I, in I want to be protected from having yeah. to worry so, like, about it. I want my character to just, I, I want to automate that for my character. Right. Right. So nice. I'm going to go ahead and take the, you know, take the diplomacy thing, because it means when we get into the thing, I can be like, okay, cool, I use my diplomacy thing, roll a die, and we move on. I think as a designer, you can kind of design either in how the mechanics work or in the language about how you pick stuff right. or in the presentation or, or graphic design of your sheet itself, whether when you're picking a thing, whether it's for the person who wants to do that thing and thus it's a focus, so it's you know kind of a positive flag, if you will, mm -hmm. or if it's that more automated thing where it's like, I'm covering my butt here because right. I know I'll get dinged if I don't have sword skill because it's a sword fighting game. So I need to have Don't that. bother me with this stuff. Yeah. I'm, look, it's taken care of. You know what's interesting is, is in a way, right, it, it's, this is why I think there, it's a little less contradictory than it may appear on, its, on that level is you're either saying, I want to be good at it, or you're saying, I don't want to be bad at it, which are yeah. almost the same. Right, but not quite. But not quite. Mm -hmm. And that's why they do kind of arrive at the same expression, yeah. right? As you say, I want... In, in a way, it means that you, you kind of can't infer from the presence of the, of the points spent on a sheet player motive. You can't say, I want, I want to spend a lot of time on this or I don't. All, all that you can say is, I don't want this to be a hassle for me. I don't want this to be a problem. Even games that do deal with like arc or character concept or nature and demeanor yeah. or whatever, they, almost, they don't often deal with it in, in such an authorial way um, where the player gets to say, you know, in a way, 13th Age actually does this more than almost anything else. One true thing about the character or the mm -hmm. icon that they observe, that, they, that they're related to, but um, what the player can assert without needing dice to back them up. You know what I mean? And this is one of the things I love about the Lady Blackbird style system is that you can just look at these words in the sheet and all these words are true about that character. Like even if we say, you know, you've actually never used this tag in your role. You've never used the word elegant. Your character's been so mean and brutal and just been beating the crap out of people. And you go, yeah, I'm saving it. Fair enough. But we know it's in there. That's one of the things I love about that system is that it's descriptive in more un at, at multiple times. But it's not the only way to do it. I just think I think it's interesting how how rarely we engage with that outside. Of, I mean, character class should be a statement of that, or can be has the power to be a statement of that. But I've played warlords in fourth edition who. 
not so much with the war, not so much with the lordliness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when does that uh, interact with niche protection, where you have different niches that you need to fill for right. the party composition or whatever? Maybe 13th Age is a good example, though I haven't had a chance to play it, but where it has that kind of D&D-esque idea of like a party and, and composition, but you do get to kind of author what your specific thing that is not that no one else has right no one else can do which is yours specific channeled authorship about your character and their relationship to the setting and how all that works Mm -hmm. yeah it's really which is really effective what's interesting is it's not a grand it's not a it's not a system per se i mean it's a method but it's not like a whole sub game you know it's just a it's just a very elegant little mechanism i mean i spent i know i spent a lot of time when i'm considering designs, thinking about, and this goes to portrayal and potentiality, is that a character class is full of potential. It's broad but not deep, even no matter how many levels there are. A character is deeper but narrower, in that a character is this specific slice of this one atom in the universe, one character. And a character class is a description of everybody who might self-identify as a cleric in this setting, right? So it's, sure. it's a lot of people. But in theory, a character class could be as deep as all the characters involved in it and as wide as all the characters involved in it. But the problem is that that would be essentially just detailing. It's like a, an NPC book, which historically are, are dead ends. Because character creation is a, is a structured mode of creation. It's a point of authorship where you are creating the setting and maybe you get to create your character's family and background and the island or the city where they're from. It depends. But picking a character out of a book and playing them is, is very different, especially if both the past and the future of that character feel too fixed. It becomes, in part, the, license, the, the NPC book problem and also the licensing problem. The more canon you have in books of NPCs or whatever, potentially the more of the licensing problem you have all over again. So I guess what I think about is the character, it's not the only opportunity, but it's one of the major ones where the player buys into the game. Yeah. When you make your character, generally that's where you start getting invested in the activity coming up. And I say it's not the only one because the, the divide that I'm, that I'm thinking about is one where, in some cases, the character is the game, right? Like when I play my character, my experience of the game is, is through their eyes mm-hmm. and through you know, their interactions, whether I'm very method-y kind of portraying them or whether that's just how I choose to, to interface with the game. Sometimes the, the character is, is essentially an excuse to get into the game, right? Like, mm. is the, the stone that you, you ride on as it skips over all the, like, stuff, the plot and events and bouncing off each other's creativity and impromptu. I'm kind of thinking of, like, Fiasco here, right? Where, right, like, right. it's not like the characters in Fiasco are, they're, they're, they're compelling in context with the events of play. Uh, you don't spend a whole lot of time delving deep into making a Fiasco character. Right, that 3x5 card that says no good brother-in-law is the character I'm going to play, yeah. Not a whole lot to go on. Right. Like, it's a, sen- it's a very thin kind of cutout uh, because the actual gameplay is where the fun is. Other games use the character as the, f- the, the fun of the game. It's channeled through right. your char- the character that you're playing. I mean, I, I absolutely agree in the sense that creation, I think, is often not just character creation, but that creation is a, a big entry point and it creates a sense of ownership yeah, of, I, of buy-in, like you said. I mean, I think if a game doesn't have character creation to, to do that buy-in, it has something else, whether it's world generation or scenario collaboration or drawing a map together or, like, something. Right. Something um, that makes yours yours. Yeah, that makes this the, game Your instance ours. of it is our version of it. Right. Yeah. 
characters traditionally where that happens. It doesn't have to be where it happens. But if we're if you're going to think about your character, I guess if you're if you're going to use characters as a very central part of your game, you know, that's something that you need to make sure actually happens. Like actually creating the character does something, I'd say, more than picking a stat block out of the NPC book. Well and definitely I think the difference yeah, difference between picking a stat block and this is one of the reasons why signature characters often do nothing other than just demonstrate what a filled-in character sheet looks like. But as characters, they almost never actually pack a lot of punch without, I think, some element of combined or of collaborative, either between the author and the players or the designer and the GM or with the players and the GM or whatever it is. The goal in this, for example, in Always Never Now, which is very nearly just pick a character and go play already. Mm-hmm. But the, there's an important step in there, which I thought was vital, which is twofold. One is that everybody knows the trope, we're going to get the band together for one last mission. So that... People can comfortably and fairly quickly, without so much pressure, come up with a scene, where do we find your character for that one shot or one part of the montage where your character puts on their jacket, gets in the motorcycle, and rides off to adventure, whatever it is. So they can do that, which makes that first expression of the character theirs, shows their ownership, and turns, bends the character a little bit in their way. But the nature of the adventure, because it's not an RPG, right? It's, it's really it's just a single adventure. I really do think one of its strengths is that it, it gets to aim in a way that's different than having to do all the stuff that an RPG would have to do. But that buy-in is very similar. And part of it is also that by design, they are, and I do this in almost every campaign I run, I realized not too long ago, I gather the characters around something and then I remove that thing. Um, and in this, the notion is that thing was removed eons ago, a decade ago. And the characters are coming back together to try to, but that they can talk about this absentee character, Josine, and, and so that he becomes collaborative, right? They can say, well, I always had this relationship with him, and you always had this relationship with him, and I had this, you know, whatever. That paints a picture about their about why they want to rescue him. They literally personifies the collaboration in a way and creates this empty space at the center of them that they can paint together. And it works, and that, that aspect works in one-shots and works in sort of the mini-campaign mode, and I think it's stronger in the mini-campaign mode. The character creation in that game is actually... The, the one character they all create together, or the, the the associated characters, as opposed to the actual PCs themselves, the player, the, the traditional player character mode, modes, which are pretty well written for them. That was a similar expression of that same idea of where buy-in comes from in a game like this. One interesting thing to me as someone who doesn't really play digital games, those encoded characters yeah. create a shared conversation for right. everyone who's played the game. And people talk about why the designers of the, the sequel decided to do this with this character or right. that, where people get outraged because this happened, that character would never do that kind of thing. Right, my shepherd would never do that. My right. fisher would never do that. Yeah. Which is yeah, which is the opposite of what happens in tabletop role-playing games where unless someone is a very good friend of yours and you have some beers, you do not want to hear about other people's characters. Right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, or so, yeah, so, so goes or the so, yarn. Yeah. So goes the, the meme. Such as the law of the land. Yeah. Right. That is, in, in general, you know, just don't, don't tell me about your character. Because there's such a personal experience and there's so much context that goes into a game session that it's impossible to convey. Can, can, I, can, I, can I tell you, there's a thing I speculate about why also, because that's definitely true, but there's a thing that, that I, in the last couple of months I've been thinking about why it is that we don't want to hear about other people's characters that is separate from that, which is that almost never does a role-playing game character have a point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that the story about it, because they, have, they always have no arc because very often we play the movie until we just stop playing them or until they die and we didn't plan for that or whatever, right? Yeah. They don't, their storyline doesn't have a shape to it in the kind of Vonnegut sense. 
which is fine, and it's true to the experience, and it's a, and it's a completely uh, legit and honest way to play the game. Mm -hmm. But it means that 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 an anecdote about that character very often has no point. Yeah, if it's about that character and how I got this sword, or that character and how he died, or that character and how she became the ruler of the land. Well, then that's a story. But tell me about your character. I'm doing scare yeah, quotes that, here. Yeah, that implies the the meandering, never-ending, and then. Right. We did this, and then the orcs right. attacked, and, and, and then... And that we already know this isn't going anywhere. Right. And then I turned level 18, yeah. and then... And sometimes, you know, there's there's funny stories, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that ten, tend to, to revolve around some kind of outrageous uh, reversal of fortune when you made that critical failure at the wrong time, and so, you know, this stuff happened, and it's actually quite funny. But yeah, if, if a character anecdote is, is running more than, like, three or four minutes... It's time for me to, to make an excuse to walk away, even if I think you're a perfectly fine human being and would like to interact with you more. Because, uh, yeah, it's just the, the, the context isn't there. And one of the things that's, that's beautiful about tabletop is that you have to be there. When you're not there, you, c you can never share that experience. Right. It's the, the difference, the unique difference between a shared experience and a shareable experience or a shared experience and a universal one. We share universal experiences, but a shared experience, by the way that we mean it, the shared story, the characters, the adventures, the, the, game, the actual gameplay is shared and magical or beautiful or rare because it is only shared because only these five people actually have the five parts of that one amulet that go together or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And yeah, characters are, are an avatar of that as well, mm -hmm. not just the avatar of the individual player. I, I love when, when, when characters can be more collaborative. Individual mm -hmm. characters can be collaborative or a group or the crew of a starship or the, you know, the, the crew of a yeah. ship at sea or something. I think as a, as a player, um, and I try to design this into my games in, in different ways, but as a player, I think it's pretty much always desirable to keep my, my conception of my character fluid enough and open enough mm -hmm. that I can incorporate stuff for other people and and work out relationships on the fly and if someone's like what if our characters had this relationship or what if this happened to you or what if this what if you did this to me you know in establishing backstory or whatever my impulse is almost always going to be say just say yes and just roll with it because creating those relationships at the table amongst the fictional characters pulls all the players even even tighter together into their shared space uh, and I think you can design opportunities to do that into your character creation or, or character detailing systems. I think there is space, right, to be protective of certain things. Uh, it is very important to me that this character is brave or whatever, right? So I don't want to have to hit a point where it is mandated to me by the mechanics that I have to be cowardly. Or if that's going to be a thing that needs to be like telegraphed or somehow set up so that I'm aware that that's I think in some ways it has, to be, it has to be built, and then just as an example, it has to be built into the bravery mechanic. Mm -hmm. The bravery trait is that, therefore, to demonstrate your bravery, will have something that has to be tested and you might fail. Yeah, I think that's and, and, a great yeah. way to, 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 go, to go about that particular problem. The terms of it and what's the legit ways to do that are mm -hmm. profoundly not just design decisions for, the, for us, but design decisions for the player creating a character. When you when you play as a GM and you're creating NPCs or monsters, when you play as a player and you're making your characters, you are also kind of getting to role play as a fellow designer in that game in that universe, in that you make the choices that lead to what will come up later on in play. A big question that I like to ask players is, when is a character done? Is it when you finish creating the character? And my answer is absolutely not, by the way. No, never. And is it when you finish playing the game? Probably, in a game like Fiasco, right? Fiasco is, that character is done when the FBI catches him in his underwear trying to crawl out a motel, motel room window. Right. But the notion that your character is pre-fixed, set up in their truth, and 
your job is to portray them truly and honestly and perfectly, regardless of what the universe throws at them. My character would never do that, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, is I think in, in a role-playing game especially is it problematic because characters have to always be changing or else or else the world does, and the kind of classic dramatic character, iconic character divide. And that's fine. And I'll, if, if you want, you can Google Ken Haidt and Robin Laws talking about iconic and dramatic characters, but I will recap probably in a future episode. But is that uh, something has to be in flux, especially in a game, has to, be able to, has to be able to be changing, or else it's just a recitation. You're kind of playing to find, not find out what happens, not to make what happens, but you're playing to see what happened, to just kind of show, yep, character hit level five, yep, character hit level six, you know, and that, that arc becomes unquestionable. So from the design side, when you're figuring out how your characters work, right, like what they do, what they're, how they interact with other entities in the game world, all that stuff, figuring out how they change and why, what changes, right. and in response to what is one of the jobs you can do as a designer to, to right. make that as apparent as possible in play. And one great way that I find to, to ask that question is to ask, what do you risk? Yeah. Right? Because if the answer is that your stats just always go up and up and up and up and up, which is fine, then that's not what they risk, right? Something else has to be able to, whether it's I lose a magic item or I lose hit points or I lose a finger or I lose an eyeball or whatever it is. But that's part of the great way to ask, to, to put teeth on that question for me it works is not just how do they change because I love that question, but I have too many answers, uh, too many potential answers. I say, so what do they risk? What's mm -hmm. it, you know, what, what, what are they gambling with? And you can also decide who chooses what's at risk. Does, oh, the, yeah. does the player choose what's at risk? Does an antagonistic force of some kind? Right. Is there some kind of random element as to what's risk, right? Because those all create different dynamic situations for the players then to address. Thanks again for listening to the Design Games Podcast. You can check out the older episodes as well as maybe ask us some questions at designgamespodcast.com. Help us find listeners and help listeners find us by giving us ratings and reviews at your favorite podcast dispensary such as iTunes or SoundCloud. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just...